Welcome to episode five of the Jacob Burns Filmcast. I'm co-host Peach Grandpre, and today we're going to be talking about the late, great Agnes Varda. Film critic Delphine Benazet has argued for Varda's importance as a feminine singulaire, a woman of singularity and of the utmost importance in film history, and we couldn't agree more. To that end, in this episode, we're going to try and tackle some of the more intimate aspects of Varda's life, highlighting the once-in-a-generation filmmaker's talent, wonder, and wisdom. First, we'll take a listen to a brief clip of Agnes describing her definition of happiness. Oh, it's what I had at lunch. Watermelon and parm ham. The mix of salted and sweet. I really like a little piece of cheese with orange marmalade. The mix of sadness and joy and what is always inside us, you know, same time melancholy and energy and the contrary being together all the time. I think that's happiness. This quote might seem like a strange place to start, and Agnes's definition of happiness might seem surprisingly mundane, but to me, this quote encapsulates her outlook on life perfectly. She saw the beauty in little things, appreciated the people, places, or things others dismissed as unworthy of attention, and most of all, she was an unending font of gratitude, appreciative of everything good and bad life had to offer. She looked at the world with the open-mindedness of a young child, but never risked veering into naivete. Next, we're going to listen to a clip from an interview Agnes gave to TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, on the production of her documentary, Faces Places. I'm doing a film co-directed with the artist J.R. And we do a documentary about what it is to go together, meet people. I love the surprise that surprises that people can bring when you take the time to listen to them, what they have to say. Escaping fiction for some years because I'm impressed by what people can give us, people we don't know, people we discover. And I like to share that with audiences. I took the time, I spoke with them. They gave me the right to share their life and explain about them. And I found a lot of intelligence in sometimes their position about society. If you take time, people have the best of them that they can express with intelligence and sometimes some humor. So I love documentaries. While Agnes's boundless enthusiasm for filmmaking in general is evident in that clip you just heard, even more obvious is her interest in meeting and learning from total strangers. Agnes put great emphasis on the ability of film to show us new places, teach us new information, and above all, help us understand, appreciate, and celebrate difference across the spectrum of human experience. In a moment, I'm going to check in with JBFC staffer Carrie Lavalley to open up this conversation. But before I do, I'd like to give a shout out to our good friends at the Village Bookstore in Pleasantville, just across the street from the JBFC Theater. At the time of this recording, we are yet to start a Varda series, so if you're listening to this episode in the winter or spring of 2020, we encourage you to explore the work, life, and legacy of Varda's entire career more in depth in Anya's Varda Interviews, a book now on sale at the Village Bookstore. If you're listening to this episode after our retrospective has wrapped up or far in the future, stop by the next time you're in the area anyway and support a beloved small business in the process. With us on the show today is Carrie LaValley. Carrie, what do you do here at the Burns? I am one of the full-time editors upstairs in the Media Arts Lab. 
And the only woman in that department. I am the only woman in that department. <laughs> Which makes you the perfect guest for today. Um, so before we get started, what is your favorite film of all time? That is a very difficult question I know, I know. <laughs> to ask. Um, I think I mean, I'm really struck by like docu-realism. So mm. I think one of the high contenders would be Fish Tank by Andrea Arnold. Mm. That's like one of my favorite films. I remember seeing that movie and being awestruck. Just like... Oh my god! <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Andrea Arnold, also a really great female filmmaker, to bring yeah. up right now. Um, but getting right to the point, <laughs> Anya's Varda. Um, as soon as Mike and I planned to discuss Varda's work for an episode of this podcast, I immediately knew you had to be involved in some way because at this point, your long-standing love for Anya's is well known to everyone in your orbit, <laughs> um, and it would be impossible to talk about her here at the Burns um, without your input. Um, so to that point, what is the first Varda movie you ever saw or how are you introduced to her work? Well, first off, I'm so happy that everyone knows that I'm a nice Varda fan. <laughs> there are pictures of her literally behind my desk. I look at her every day. Um, I was actually introduced to Agnes Varda. I think I was taking a French New Wave course at SUNY Purchase where I went to school and we were watching kind of the introduction to what French New Wave meant. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching La Bramouffe, which is mm -hmm. this like short film she made about these lovers. And there's this one very graphic image in the short, which is like this woman, which is Agnes, like with a pregnant belly, and then like a squash being like cut open, and all these seeds falling out. And I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is so exciting to watch because it says so much mm -hmm. with just like an, just a simple cut. Yeah. And I had not seen really any women filmmakers while at school. So at that point in my career in college, and so just seeing like a very unapologetic woman making a very beautiful but very intentional film was really fun. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to be watching right now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, you go through her career and pretty much every... Um, outlet, particularly the Criterion Collection, refers to her as both the mother and grandmother of the French New Wave, mm. um, in that she was one of the few women involved in that movement, but also so much of her work that defined the style really predates that movement, that she was so on the vanguard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so for that to be kind of like one of the first pieces of hers that you saw is such a great fit. Yeah. And at the time of this recording, um, you have not yet given it, but you're slated to give a real talk for The Gleaners and I mm -hmm. in March. How did you pick this film? Well, I actually, now that I'm remembering it correctly, I saw The Gleaners and I in my Cinema 101 class, mm -hmm. and which was another like one of my first introductions to her. I think my French New Wave class, I was like, whoa, this is like a, a filmmaker that I need to pay absolute attention to. But I was sitting in my huge, like... Uh, not huge but in the whatever auditorium we watched yeah. our films in I was just seeing this woman talk to these folks in France about like just gleaning food and how they live their lives like getting sustenance and like potatoes and I just remember being potatoes being a huge motif in the movie mm -hmm. and one of my favorite moments in the film is when Agnes is sitting in a car and she has her video camera and she's looking at her hands and she's talking about wrinkles and like age spots and then her hand kind of closes over a truck mm. and I just I don't know something about that dialogue and the imagery just really resonated with me and I just remember seeing that movie and again feeling very excited about cinema and 
also seeing someone who's playing with form, who's shooting on a video camera mm -hmm. and, you know, being in the shots and she's very involved. You very much hear her voice. And I think that for me, was a wonderful introduction to Agnes Varda in, in a fuller format and a feature format. So I, I just love that film and I love seeing her with the stalks of wheat <laughs> in yeah. front of that tapestry or image. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I'm getting excited about it now. I just think it's <laughs> such a wonderful introduction to her. And I feel like if an audience member can only see one film, I hope they are able to see The Gleaners and I. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a strong movie that says a lot yeah, about the art form, but also about, you know, how we live our lives and in, in the economy and yeah absolutely um and yeah it was her first film that she shot with a digital camera and it's so interesting because um when you think about some of her shorts for example in daguerreotypes she was pregnant at the time or had just given birth and you know didn't have portable mics like we do today mm -hmm. so she rigged it up in her house and would go out onto the street with this just corded microphone that she called uh, another um umbilical cord <laughs> um and so it's so interesting that the gleaners and i really allowed her to kind of transition to the kind of personal very intimate filmmaking that she had always wanted and mm. so many filmmakers would think about using a handheld camera like that and just totally dismiss it out of hand but she produces this really beautiful work with it that is so staggering and sort of marked the beginning of her kind of later in life productive period mm. um so that's such a great great film to pick and yeah. such one that you should definitely check out even if you are not able to make it to carrie's screening on march 10th um you should definitely watch it yes well i feel like it's on the canopy it's maybe it's oh on yeah it's gotta collection. be it's gotta be it's out there yeah for sure. So on a really exciting note, you were fortunate to be in the same room as her once. I was. Tell us about that experience. <laughs> so I was, not to name drop, but I was <laughs> at an, I was working on an internship at IndieWire and Kate Erbland, who's one of the film editors there, or writers there, um, she encouraged me. She was just like, you know, if you ever want to go do something that is around the city, let us know. We'll try to get you to be able to go. So I said, okay, cool. did not think much of it. And then I found out that Agnes Ford was coming to the film site at Lincoln Center. And I was just like, this is a very special moment in my like young life mm -hmm. where, you know, here's this esteemed filmmaker, a woman coming who's made like this incredible gamut of movies. And she's just coming to someplace right around the corner and I, it'd be a fool not to go. <laughs> so I asked and Kate was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll get you a ticket. I was like, amazing. <laughs> and... So I went there and I just remember walking into, it was my first time at Film Society at Lincoln Center too. And so I was walking in and I was seeing, there's a screen, there's two images side by side. And on one side it says, this is a picture of Agnes Varda. And I was like, oh, this is great. She's so cute. <laughs> and then next to it is, this is a picture of Agnes Varda in a potato costume, <laughs> which is so <laughs> enjoyable, so gleeful. Like I just like, this makes so much sense, especially because potatoes were such a huge thing in the gleaners and yes. I, and I feel like yeah. they continued to be something that she looked at and like observed in other movies somehow, some way. And so that was already a wonderful first few moments in there. <laughs> and then I just was standing for like an hour and a half, just like engrossed in what she was saying. I have the whole recording on my phone still. 
And as she was leaving, I was like, okay, Carrie, this is, this is the one, literally the, <laughs> one, the one moment, moment <laughs> you're ever going to get to try and say hello to her. So I walked up to her as she was leaving and I was like, hi, my name's Carrie. Um, I just want to say like, you're an incredible filmmaker. Oh my God, you inspire me. And she's like, oh, okay, great, great, great. And I hand her my notebook and she signed it and it says my name with a heart and Aww. it says Agnes and it's in one of my journals that I use that I brainstorm like film ideas in. And so it's a very wonderful thing to look at when I'm feeling down about myself. It's like, all right, Agnes Varda saw this and it gave me a little heart. So here's some joy for a moment of like distress. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it, for me reflecting on that moment, I, I, it kind of feels surreal because I met someone who is like groundbreaking in cinema in real life and it's not that doesn't happen often mm -hmm. and I remember like reading about her and studying her and really delving into her work and even just to get to say hello and for her to sign my book like it's unremarkable I'm just like still in awe of it yeah yeah oh it's so lovely <laughs> um and sort of as as you talked about how cute she is mm -hmm. and um, as we talked about sort of the potato theme and that she comes back to cats a lot in mm -hmm. her films and that she does have these very kind of cutesy elements. And despite the fact that her films um, aren't necessarily dark, but very serious at times, mm -hmm. but she herself was so cute and little and she was a filmmaker that seemed to grow in popularity as she aged. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it was sort of a shift towards an acceptance of the film she was making or partially her personality later in life that she was so charming and so adorable that kind of helped push her profile to the forefront a little bit more in the last sort of few decades of her life I mean you think about her relationship with JR in Faces Places and it's this really adorable odd couple mm. because she's just this charming little grandma at this point yeah um and so I guess what like what role do you think her personality in that way has played in her popularity that she is this really larger than life figure but doesn't seem to take herself too seriously? That is a great question. I feel like yes she she is very cute but she is very commanding of a space mm -hmm. and I think that she's incredibly knowledgeable and she says that she's always she lives in cinema like that's mm -hmm. her life that's her world and I think that when you're so comfortable in a space there's nothing you don't need to you're not proving anything you're just mm. like living your art and you're you're experimenting and playing and I think there's so much joy in what she does and I think that's why she can have a little bit of playfulness in her work because she does tackle things that are serious and even in faces places like at the end I don't want to spoil anything but like right. it's a very heartbreaking moment and you know I think Yes, she's gotten older, and so you see her kind of maybe in a little more endearing way, but mm -hmm. I feel like she's always been herself in that way. And again, like she is just a very brilliant woman who commanded a space, and you listened when she was speaking, mm -hmm. not because you are fearful of her. You're just like, I want to soak up as much knowledge I can from this person who mm -hmm. is so willing to share in, in an experience. And just played with the form in so many different ways from like using film to art installations to just making her docs and her feature fiction films. Um, I think that maybe perhaps the accessibility of her work has also just made her a little bit more popular. And mm -hmm. I think that with streaming services and like PBS and other, th or whatever, you know, documentary channels streaming her films or educational facilities are streaming mm -hmm. her films that I feel like has probably made her name a bit more, accessible yeah because I think she's always been well known but I feel like 
she's now a topic of pop culture conversation and like people have pins or they're doing tattoos or having her on their tote bags. So I feel like maybe the accessibility is good, but, um, I've always felt like she's been this way. I mean, I don't know her at all, but I feel like (laughs) (laughs) classic. (laughs) The class. Yeah. 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 But I feel like at least from reading what I've read about her and like interviews with her and meeting her, I feel like she's always maintained Agnes at like the heart of what Mm -hmm. she does. Um, Yeah. But I always, I kind of have an endearing moment with her because she does kind of remind me of the liveliness of my grandmother Mm. in a way. Um, but I absolutely respect her and just because she's cute doesn't mean that I view her any differently. I'm like, this is a powerhouse filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That she's just so quietly unassuming. Mm. Yeah. And so humble. Yeah, exactly. That's what's crazy too, is that when we talk about her as like basically the mother of a certain specific film movement and yet she has no airs about her. She's always been like, especially in her documentary work so focused on you know the smallest possible subject or the the quote-unquote least important possible person that Mm. she's so interested in sort of things that people would dismiss as boring or mundane or unimportant and Mm. gives them so much weight and respect yeah she just respects every aspect of life yeah like what you're saying is that i think that's something that makes her so unique as a person, as a filmmaker is to one, as a human see such light and and value in any, any aspect of life, but also as a filmmaker to say, this is a very important thing. I hold it very important Mm -hmm. to my heart. So I'm going to show it the respect I want and make whatever art comes out of that. Yeah. And do it to the best of my ability. And it always turns out to be incredible. Yeah. And I'm, I will say too, talking about her kind of work later in life, that I'm so glad you brought up the shot from the Gleaners and I with her hand, mm-hmm. um, because I was recently rereading a New York Times piece by Manola Dargis comparing the Gleaners and I to the cinematic tribute she created to her husband, Jacques Demy, as mm-hmm. he was passing away, and comparing a shot of the wrinkles on his forehead in that film to the wrinkles on her hand in The Gleaners and I. Mm. And obviously Faces Places hits on it really hard, but she's never been afraid of mortality. Mm. That she's very conscious of her mortality. And like you're saying, that gives her a kind of power mm. um, that she doesn't she doesn't take anything for granted. No. And I think yeah. in The Gleaners and I, she was saying, I don't remember specifically what she was saying, but it was something along the lines of like, I love the wrinkles on my skin mm-hmm. and I love these things. Like, and I think, you know, as a young person, when I, even now, like watching it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's somehow brave. But mm-hmm. it's just kind of like so poignant and so beautiful at the same time. You're like, yeah, wow. I'm not, af- it's, it makes me feel unafraid to age. Yeah. Because she, in her, in her, late 80s was making movies still like she gives me such hope like (laughs) I'm gonna be doing this I'm gonna be making films until I'm well into my 80s you know I'm gonna live that truth until Mm -hmm. the day I die essentially and I think that maybe another reason why she's so renowned right now and so heavy topic of conversation is because she's a woman in her 80s making movies Mm -hmm. and making them well and like doing doing the the thing (laughs) like it's so fun. Even in places, places she's in a wheelchair, but right. you know, Jr. and her just like frolicking through. Yeah, one of the most museum. one of the happiest scenes in the movie. And is she's just like dancing, around. and you just you just feel so much happiness. Yeah. Like she's happy, 
I don't know. It's just, you can, I mean, at least for me, like I really feel it's all genuine in that way. Yeah, totally. And she, exactly that she, um, even makes the comment basically, you know, yeah, I'm in my eighties, but so many of my friends didn't have that same opportunity. Like what a gift that yeah. I've been able to live this long and keep working. Yeah. So she just makes me think of Chantal Ackerman, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so who was another French filmmaker yep. in the French new wave, but who was the like the only other woman that they mentioned in an educational setting of French new wave filmmakers. But yeah, cause I'm trying to think even right now, like I'm there, I'm I'm sure there are many women, but like Agnes was active. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like until, you know, near the end. Yeah. Basically until the day she died. Yeah. I remember when I found out that she passed away, I like woke up, checked my phone, like mm-hmm. any millennial will. <laughs> I was just went on to Instagram and I got this message from a friend from college being like, Carrie, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened. Like, I hope you feel okay today. And I was like, oh. what happened? And she was like, oh, Agnes Varda died. And I was like, what? Oh. And so I was just reading this. And then I texted one of our coworkers, Sean Weiner. Mm-hmm. I just texted him like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Like crying in my bed. Ugh. It was sad, but I was just like, you know what? She did so much. Yeah. She lived such a long life. And then I just found, I just went to a, like a wormhole of looking at all of her pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You, f- For one thing, you definitely can't say that she could have fit any more into her years than she mm. did. That she definitely did the most with that time. And kind of on that note, uh, you visited her grave last year. I did. What was that experience like? That was so, that was also very special. I knew when I was going to France that if we were going to be anywhere near Paris I wanted to go visit her grave Mm -hmm. and so and my grandmother had just passed away a year before Mm. that so I think that like her passing and then yeah Agnes's passing it just kind of not it conflated but in not in a just more of like a lovely grieving kind of way Mm -hmm. and so when I went to go visit her grave I took my aunt with me and we bought two potatoes <laughs> and we found a stick and just carved our names into them. And I just said, I love you on my potato. And then I put the potato on her grave. And the thing is that there were so many potatoes and pine cones and oh seashells. Like already there. Already there. And it's her grave with Jacques Demi. Right. So it's like them together. And you got to sit on the bench. She sat next to his mm. grave in and like, I sat there with my aunt and we both started crying. <laughs> I feel like we were crying for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I was just like overwhelmed with emotion just because like I couldn't believe I was in France sitting next to like a f- film icon, you know, and two film icons and yeah. um, experience such a moment with my aunt. And that, that was very, very special for me. And there was a little pinwheel and it was such a beautiful day. And other people came and visited her grave while we were there too. Like people brought her pine cone or mm-hmm. potato and like kissed it and gave it to her mm. there were yeah people really love her yeah yeah it was it was a very special day mm. that, yeah and it feels like the kind of thing that she would love that she wouldn't want people to be i mean she understood grief as well as anyone mm. but wouldn't want people to be sad so much as you know, let's bring potatoes and pine cones. Let's celebrate what she did. It feels so true to the spirit yeah. of her work. Yeah. And she's bringing people together. Like, yeah. Literally internationally. Right. I didn't fly there for her, but <laughs> yeah. But I went, I knew I had to go see her. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Very special woman. Yeah. Just thinking about her more and more. On that note, you know, since her unfortunate passing, we all miss her dearly. But there thankfully has been more of a focus now on her legacy and and what she did. Mm. And so what makes her work and legacy sort of meaningful to you in particular? That obviously we can talk about it in the scope of, you know, film theory and film history. But what do you as a female filmmaker yourself um, take away from her career? I think as a filmmaker, what I love about her work is it's so personal Mm -hmm. and so painful, but also really beautiful. And I think that's something that I focus on a lot in my work is that there are, there are lots of trials in life, but there's such a beauty to them in ways. And something I also like playing with is the form between narrative and documentary or fiction and nonfiction. And she did both. She, she was just like a multimedia artist in a lot of ways. And I think that, I think with like Vagabond, something I remember seeing that movie and she action would go off frame and then we just sit in this frame of a tree like blowing in the wind for like 30 to 45 seconds and I'm like this is brilliant Mm -hmm. like we're just getting here to sit and I think that her work is so challenging and it it really kind of makes you think and Mm -hmm. even if it's just to look at something really pretty or if it's like have you take pause in a moment I think that I look at her work and I say wow here's a woman who like was it, is in a male dominated industry in France, like combating a lot of, you know, misogyny in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but like kicking ass and <laughs> making historical iconic films that we're still talking about to now and we'll be talking about for a long time to come. And I think just as a filmmaker and as a woman, you just see that and you're like, wow, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be Agnes Farda, but I'm going to be <laughs> the best version of myself. And like, that's just as valid, you know, in pursuing that. And you know, learning and getting inspiration from her and kind of living my life with the kind of mantra of like, you know, finding joy in my art and finding peace in that because I think that's what she did so well too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always a part of you that that's in the films that you make. And I think that I, I see that in her work and I see that in my work and it kind of, I feel a kinship with her in that way of like, yeah, you know, making personal stories is is necessary for a lot of people so they can mm-hmm. like reflect and resonate and see their experience in a way. Um, yeah, and it's always nice seeing women succeed. Yeah, <laughs> and I will say, I also was thinking a lot about um, this morning because you just had a big premiere for it. Ah, uh, yes. How your latest work, Partners in Crime, yes. reminds me a lot of One Sings, The Other Doesn't. In wow. that they are both dealing with these women who have a deep bond and the crux of the film is about affording an abortion in Mm. both cases but that's not the only thing happening in the film Mm. and it was just funny because I was thinking about it just because you just had the premiere Mm. Um, but it was so lovely to think about how as soon as I knew we were doing this episode I knew I wanted to talk to you about (laughs) it and just to think how you just had this movie premiere Mm. and you were here to talk about how much she meant to you Mm -hmm. and Obviously, I'm not suggesting that Partners in Crime was based on One Sings, The Other Doesn't, mm-hmm. but it's really cool to see how this entire generation that she's inspired is dealing with a lot of the same things in unique ways to this day. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for thinking that my film reminded you of Nine Spider Movie. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really great point. And I think it's like subconscious in a way, mm-hmm. you know, because she's at that time, she was, is like making that's such a 
progressive, very radical move is talking yes. about abortion. And, yeah. you know, I think that even now that that topic is still like a radical statement for mm -hmm. some reason, but like abortion is very common and it's normal and it can be a healthy practice procedure. And it's so interesting because I remember in college, we were talking about the word feminism as it relates to Agnes Varda and people mm. were like, is she a feminist? Is she not a feminist? Like I've heard that she doesn't and she doesn't identify. And it's like, I mean, inherently her work is feminist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like just viewing that and seeing it, those themes in her work, you know, it somehow we like ingest it and we metabolize on mm -hmm. it and we're just kind of, inspired in a way to keep tackling these things that are women's issues or people who menstruate or people with reproductive rights issues and so it's like yeah i don't know where i'm going but i'm just like think, i'm just feeling inspired i'm just yeah. like god yeah i want to go talk about her more just vibing yeah <laughs> but no i really do think that she has inspired a lot of people mm -hmm. not just women right which is awesome because mm -hmm. she's a filmmaker yeah and she's a woman who makes movies but she's a filmmaker yeah filmmaker first yeah yeah but we'll claim her. We love her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is um, how Varda's career, um, she began as a still photographer, mm. that she did not begin as a filmmaker. And I know in college you studied film, but not necessarily film production. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could give kind of your take on what you bring to the table as a filmmaker who wasn't necessarily trained in that background that does that give you an advantage in some way well it's interesting that you i didn't know that about agnes mm, she started mm -hmm. as a film, still photographer which kind of makes a lot of sense right if you really think about like the way she frames in the th subjects she's talking about yeah. I, I guess as a cinema studies student i think you can get it's a little tricky because you can get lost in like the theory and the concepts and like the imagery and what they mean and it can be very overwhelming but I think as a lover of cinema it really I just remember being in college thinking like I love talking about movies I love watching these films but I now like I want to make these movies and I want to be like utilizing this information that I'm being educated in as like a way to make representational cinema and like talk about the things that I want to talk about represent stories that I feel like are not at the forefront of a lot of studio films and mm -hmm. I feel like these are already ongoing con conversations like Agnes Varda has been in this conversation right. like you know so there are films out there that talks about it but it's like I want to help contribute to those conversations I want to be a part of that conversation mm -hmm. and so as a cinema studies student I think I think a lot about intentionality mm, you know mm -hmm. it's who are we having in front of the camera but who are we having behind the camera and what are we saying and how did the association of them i mean it's filmmaking in a sense like it's it's only separate because one just studies it and the other one does it mm -hmm. and i feel like they kind of go hand in hand mm -hmm. you have you have to love cinema in some regard in order to make the movies and you have to kind of know how to make a movie maybe practically like right. you don't have to make it legitimately but you kind of have to know how to make it in a sense, to, to understand it. Mm -hmm. um, it's like being a technician, I guess, or like a <laughs> clockwork maker, to know the cogs and things yeah. like that and to like understand how it works. Because when we were in cinema studies school, like classes, you're learning about framing and cameras and, you know, editing techniques and skills and camera techniques and skills. We're just not physically having them in our hands. Right. And then we had film students who were sitting in our classes learning about 
you know, German expressionism and like yeah. all these other things together. I guess, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question at all. That's okay though. But I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what <laughs> I'd say about right. it. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine too. And yeah, the other thing I was hoping you could address <clears throat> as a filmmaker yourself too, and I was glad that you mentioned earlier that, you know, a, a piece of you is in every film you make and mm. that um, so much of Varda's work drew on real life and, and relied on real life or non-actors at point. But few filmmakers are able to navigate the divide between narrative and documentary as deftly as Varda did. Mm. Um, total master at it. And I was hoping you could speak a little bit to why that's so difficult as a filmmaker and why you think she was so successful at it. Ooh, wow. I hope I can kind of answer this question for you. <laughs> I think that... Just from your point of view. You don't point, have to yeah. give the, the be-all and all <laughs> answer. I think that ooh, playing with, in my own experience, it's very, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. tow that line. And she does it, like you said, so well and so seamlessly. Um, and I think that perhaps there's just like a spontaneity in her work and that she can just, she just understands it. So I feel like she can play with it. Mm-hmm. And I have seen her more traditionally narrative films mm-hmm. and I've seen her straight up docs, but I think that she always functions in, in kind of swings in both kind of head spaces mm-hmm. of like doc and, in fiction and I think that they kind of go hand in hand with her and I don't feel like they really are separate in some way even though one may be more traditionally one or the other Mm -hmm. I don't know how she does it I would love to know how she really does it (laughs) um but I know it's not easy and she makes it look really easy yeah uh which is why she's such a captivating filmmaker what was the second part of your question (laughs) (laughs) yeah just basically like why is that so difficult as a filmmaker and and why is she so good at it but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a gift. I feel yeah. like she's just got some raw artistry in her that I strive to have one day. But it was definitely, I think, probably a big inspiration for me because I work in docu-realism. So, mm-hmm. like, even though I write my scripts, I still love the idea of doc technique, camera yeah. work in my movies. I don't know. I, I think, like, there's just such a beautiful thing about letting the imperfections of filmmaking show and not being afraid of those Mm. things because they're just kind of a part of the process and some of them are more magical than you could have written. Right. Um, And I think that she does that well. I mean, Sally Mann, who's a still photographer who like does all these very traditional like plate photos, Mm. talks about this angel of uncertainty in her work. And I kind of like, I'm using that as a, compass a little bit for when I'm making films but it's I think what she's saying is that there's like a lot of uncertain things that can happen even if you have a very intended plan mm-hmm. and in how you react to those things kind of affects your the outcome of your work and I feel like embracing those imperfect quote-unquote imperfect things mm-hmm. and utilizing them and, and mastering them and applying them in your work like you get to play with that form of of traditional narrative um, and breaking it or traditional doc and breaking it and like creating these combined docu-realistic or um, poetic essayist films mm-hmm. in the way that she does uh, so well. But again, she's an icon, so 
she's she's a master at it (laughs) i love that though angels of uncertainty yeah if you don't know who sally man is i really recommend her work because it's also incredible awesome yeah yeah that was pretty much all the questions i had for you cool but is there (laughs) anything we didn't cover that you want to that you want to share i guess the other thing i would like to share is just watch her movies and (laughs) study them and enjoy them and if you don't like them that's totally fine but i think that her portfolio of filmmaking is so diverse yeah that i don't know any other filmmaker who has like just hit the ground running in so many like she picks up things and she's like yeah i'm gonna do this and do that and I'm gonna do this mm-hmm. and do that there are other filmmakers that do that but I, she's just a special to me a very yeah. special kind of filmmaker yeah and there are her films because everyone's doing all these wonderful retros please like go out and watch her movie or sit at home and watch a movie don't mm-hmm. be afraid of those subtitles yeah as director bong said don't be afraid of those subtitles <laughs> yeah. he's right yeah because you're gonna learn a lot from watching these films absolutely yeah and like you're saying there's so her films are so diverse and she made over 50 films it seems impossible that you couldn't find at least one that you, right. you know like there's short basically film, something for feature everyone film if you want to here i'm gonna give you a little bit <laughs> <laughs> if you want a really good if you've got like only 20 minutes to spare watch uncle yanko it's yes. a short film by her yes. It's so good. It's a personal film. It's so colorful. And uh, she's just uh, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Like, I love it. (laughs) Such a good. And she. I don't want to give anything away, but Mm -hmm. I really recommend it. It's such a good short film. And that can be a nice dipping of your toe into the waters of Agnes while on the beaches of Agnes, which is another. movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also well worth a watch. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, yes. Carrie. Thank you for having me. Right. We love you, Agnes. We love you. <laughs> Viva Varda. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. This podcast is supported by the Jacob Burns Film Center. Special thanks to Carrie for joining us today. Um, please remember to subscribe and rate us on your preferred podcasting platform. We are on Instagram as JBFCPville, Twitter as JBFCNY, Facebook and YouTube as Jacob Burns Film Center. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you want us to address in a future episode, you can always email us at jbfilmcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.